Psalm 32, which is one of my favorite passages. And again, there will be different psalms that different preachers uh, and leaders uh, pick throughout the summer. So again, we'll come back to them. Um, for now, I want to start with this. Uh, yesterday, uh, I got a phone call from a dear friend here in the church. And my man was struggling bad. I was cutting the grass, or I was about to. And my kids were like, get in the pool, you know, and all this. And my friend called, and he's just really struggling, just feeling a deep sense of betrayal and just struggling, right? And I got to listen. And at the, as I listened to him, I heard less and less hopefulness and so much hopelessness. He just felt hopeless. This big thing he's working on, it just does it's not going as hoped, and he's has some struggles and some failures in his leadership, and it's like, ugh. You know, and I, again, I got to listen. And at the end of, I just as I listened to him, I began to offer him who he is. I began to remind him of who he is, how much Jesus loves him, the calling on his life, the things I know about him from his story. And I just gave him scripture, and I gave him the words of Jesus. And you wouldn't believe the way he wept and the release and the freedom he had just from a few sentences like that. Friends, it was, it was so fulfilling to be able to give him the fruit of things happening in me. Right? To give him the word that was in me. I didn't have my Bible open. I didn't, any of that. I just, as I walk with God, God brings opportunities for me to give what he's given me to others. And, and, and so my question for you this morning is how will we become a congregation that bears more and more fruit? That has this fruit on our branches ready for those around us because there is a huge need for that fruit. So how, how do we become more fruitful? Right? And so we're, we're going to get into that today. And, and today and, and throughout this summer, we're going to look at these psalms because in knowing God, there is a fullness. There is fruit that is born from this, right? And Psalm 1 is very intentional. I don't know if you know this, but Psalm 1 is the introduction to the psalms. It's purposeful. They didn't take a stack of psalms and songs and prayers and just... You know, and you just, it just happened to be the first one. That's sometimes what we often think. The Psalms has an organization to it, right? There, it's very strategic how it's laid out. And Psalm 1 is our gateway. It's our threshold. It's the door in to the rest of it, right? Again, so the Psalms are a different way of learning. It's music oftentimes, if you don't know. Like, these are songs, prayers, meditations, things that were the wrestling match of, of believers in the past that were put together and compiled to be a hymn book, to be a worship manual, to be a place for prayers as other Christians and believers come along and, and journey through life. It's to sustain them, to give them a different style of worship, to help them with what's gone before them, right? So through the different seasons, they would turn to the Psalms. So again, uh, there's an intentionality. I don't know if you know, but there are five books to the Psalms. So Psalm 1, Psalm, Psalm 1 is the beginning of, of the, it's, excuse me, it's, it's an intro to all the Psalms, but also an intro to book 1 of the Psalms, which is supposed to represent Genesis. Then book 2 starts at Psalm 42. And then book 3 starts at 73. And then Psalm 90 and Psalm 107. And it's supposed to represent Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible. The Psalms is a mirror to them, right? Each book closes with doxology. Praise be to God, right? And if you don't know, and this is why we talk about sin and struggle a lot in our church, 
there are more sins, I mean, there are more psalms about suffering and lament than there are joy. Interesting, right? Because the reality is of life, that life, life's hard. Life's a struggle. But make no mistake, there's still psalms of joy, psalms of, of beauty, right? And so today, is, it's a psalm of belief, it's a psalm of faith, and, and what we often call a psalm of confidence. And that's why I've entitled our sermon, The Psalm of Confidence. So again, Psalm 1 is a, is a gateway into the rest of the psalms, and it, it does this. It gives us two paths. Two paths to life. There, there's, the way, there, there's the way of the righteous and the way of the r- wicked. There are two paths to how we will move forward. Two, two ways we can go. Both paths have lots of circumstances, lots of struggles, but they have very different endings, is what this psalm tells us. And so we're going to enter that gateway together, and we're going to learn about the blessed life. We're going to learn how do we grow the fruit in our lives. How, how do we do that well? And we're going to start that by, one, looking at verses 1 and 2, and we're going to look at the promise of the blessed life. And number two, the meditate, how we meditate on that promise. Right? Or, or how the psalm meditates on that promise. So let's, let's jump in right there. So verse 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So the blessed life, this word blessed means happy. It means fulfilled, satisfied. It, it really means that. Happiness comes from this. Satisfaction comes from this, is what it's, the way it starts. Deep satisfaction, fulfillment, a full life. Blessed is the one that does this, or excuse me, that doesn't do this, and then does this. So let's look at what, the way it starts. What do we not do? I want you to notice, first of all, it doesn't say that blessedness is the person that is not wicked, doesn't sin, and doesn't scoff. It doesn't say that, right? The attention is not on the behavior but on the person, right? So, so it starts with who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly is another way for, word for this wicked. We're gonna, we're gonna, a, a lot of translations say ungodly here instead of wicked. Ungodly is a really important term, especially for our memory, who, who walks not in that counsel, right? Who doesn't stand in the way of sinners, right? Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And what we see here is that relationships are important, and the relationship we have with each other is important. And that the focus is not, is, again, it's not on the behavior, but what we give our attention to. And there's this, this starting with the walking that becomes standing, that becomes finally settling in and sitting in. You hear it? A, degra- a degradation, a, a, a stair step down into, oh, I'm walking, and there's counsel coming in, and then I'm starting to stand in that, and finally, I make my home in it. I sit in it. Blessed is the person who doesn't do this first. Right? Again, we'll come back to that. But again, walks in the counsel of the wicked, the, the advice based on a plan, the realms of thinking, the accepting advice in that way that leads to the standing or the standing that happens apart from from the walking. It's the behaving, adopting the ways of, and then finally sitting in the seat of the scoffer. Uh, All the commentaries said this is the worst one. The the, the heart that a scoffer has is the cynical heart. It's the the heart that degrades, that looks down on and belittles the image of God in others. It's it's that final place. But it progresses from from lesser to greater influence, if you look at the, the way it goes down. Behavior, 
becomes the seat of judgment as it takes over more and more, right? And, you know, and I want you to see, although the text is not, doesn't say it this way, it's talking of the extreme of it. There are other ways this happens in us as believers. I don't know about you, but I have an iPhone 12, right? And I, you know they're intentional. This thing is starting to mess up left and right. Right? Ask my daughter. Her phone, like, it won't take calls, and I can't text Dad. And, you know, and I, at first I was like, she just wants a 14, you know? You, you know? And I start looking at the 15. I bet you I know more than all of you about the 15. <laughs> I, I, I look at Macworld and all these different articles, and I know all the things coming out about it, right? And slowly I stand in it. I mean, excuse me, I walk in it, I stand in it, and I sit in it, and I have to have it. That's exactly how marketing plays on us. It, it's here to here to here. They finally, they have our hearts. They know us often better than we know ourselves, right? And so again, it's not, it's not just this evil thing that happens. Anything can become like this to where all of a sudden I have more passion about an iPhone 15 that's not even out yet than I do about Jesus or about my children or my wife. Yeah? I've investigated and been more curious about those things than, than your lives. You know, and so again, I've, it, it's not, don't just take this to the, as far bad as we can get it, but those things, there is a battle for our attention. There's a battle for what we delight in, right? Because verse 2 starts this way. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, right? So the contrast, so w- what we don't do, the contrast for what we do now is not duty and obedience, I want you to see that. Not, hey, okay, guys, let's obey now. No, but it's on what will you delight in? You delight on the law of the Lord, right, is what it says, in which we meditate day and night. So, again, not a duty and obedience, but delight and meditation. I love John Piper's uh, example here. He says, I've, I've used it before, but I just, it's such a good one. I never go to my wife with flowers, he says, and say, hey, it's my duty to give you these flowers, right? Like, think about how that would feel. No, it's my delight to give these to you. Right? And that's what we're talking here. This psalm is saying, there is a battle for your delight. What do you delight in? What do you give your most, the, the affections inside of you, this heart? What do you give it to? And then what grows it? So just as you're shaped by walking, standing, sitting, and giving your attention and looking at, in the same way with the bad, it's also the same with the good. And that's where the psalm is going. But... Aren't you a little like, really? The law of the Lord? Is anyone reading, you know, what's the blue Bible called where you read through the entire Bible? I know a lot of the ladies were doing that. Anyone reading through that? Anyone, anyone stuck in the middle of Leviticus? <laughs> right? I mean, just somebody told me the other day, man, I'm in Chronicles and I'm dying. Right? I mean, the law of the Lord, what is that? Before you, you know, it, it doesn't mean... Just the law of the Lord. This was a way of of saying the Torah, the way of life of the Lord that's been written down. Actually, Jesus calls the law of the Lord the Psalms at one point in the Gospels. So the law of the Lord is all of Scripture. It's the authority, the, the, the way of God presented in all of Scriptures. We delight and meditate on that, right? That's what he's saying here. So, again, we are shaped by the Word as, it, as we give attention to it, meditation. And how do we fight the world's influence? How do we become more godly? The Scripture says we delight. And how do we grow our delight? Through meditation. That's what this gateway is about. 
having this understanding there's a war for our delight, needing to grow our delight in, in the law of the Lord. And how do we do that? Meditation. And so the last part of our point one, I just want you to see, what, what is this meditation? I'm just going to go quickly through it. But I, I, I would ask that I can't give you everything of what meditation is in one little sermon. And, and hopefully we'll, somebody will come back to it one of the Psalms this summer. But I, I would ask that you would go look and learn more about it. But right now, I want, you to show, I want to show you the priority of meditation first. Guys, this is Psalm 1. Number 1 says, if you're going to get what's coming after this, you've got to learn to meditate. Right? And I, I love the way even Laura did it. Laura said, sing it until you get it. Did you hear her say that in the middle of it? And I love how Laura leads, how she gives us space. Meditation is about space. Giving, giving time for silence. Giving time to let the penny drop, right? But there's a priority to it. This is the first song. This is what he wants to say before anything else comes. These songs and prayers, all of these things, meditation must happen. Meditation, the, the word, the law of the Lord, if we're going to delight in it, we must slow down with it. We must prioritize meditation as we approach it. So the next one is there's a process to it. So priority, and then there's a process. Walk, stand, sit. In the same way we do with the, that the wicked would do, we do the same with Scripture, with, with the law that we, we turn to, that we, we walk in it. We, we take it in us as we come and as we go. We stand in it together. We influence each other. We serve with it. It's kind of what the standing means. And then sitting in it is we, we find our home in it. This is what it means to be me in this area. What does godly masculinity look like? What does godly femininity look like? Right? What, are those, what does the scriptures call me to in these different areas of my life? That we, we take scripture and we think it out. We think it out. We think it out. You know, I love Matthew 5. You know, it's, it's the Beatitudes. Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say that anyone who looks at another woman lustfully commits adultery. Or it says something like that, right? You hear what he's doing? He's taking the word adultery and he's meditating on it. Well, what leads to adultery? Well, my eyes fixed on something that I'm not supposed to have and allowing that to sink in my heart and become delight. What lust? That's the definition of lust. You see, Jesus, the, the Sermon on the Mount, is, is him meditating on Scripture and writing new Scripture with it. You see that? That's what the Psalms are. They're the meditations of God's people over the years as they sit with failure. Fa- the failure of David in Psalm 51, his adultery, his murder. As he sits with that, this poetry comes out of him as he f- experiences the cleansing of God. But there's a process to it as the penny drops for him as it goes from the surface to deeper into his heart, right? And so, again, there's a process. It's to give serious thought about is what meditation is. It's to think. Um, it's, it's to be filled on, to ponder, to plot, to plan, to weigh, to consider, to decide, to put your roots down into this, to be nourished by, to be fed by. There's a lot of words to try to get to describe what is meditation. One of the, um, as you know, our, our great mentor, Tim Keller, died. And Psalm 1, he preached on six, six times, which is a lot for one passage. It's, uh, he's a man I've leaned on over the years as I've learned about these different things, but especially this psalm. And one of the things he teaches in this psalm, and one of those, is the difference between calling prayer and answering prayer. Calling prayer, he says, is when you start the conversation. Lord, 
I can't believe I did that. Or, Lord, I really need this $100, right? It's where there's something in me, there's a need, there's something perceived, and then we take that to God. And guys, that is important. We need to have that in our prayer, absolutely. But he says there's another kind of prayer. It's called answering prayer. And answering prayer is when God sets the tone, the direction, and and the consideration of what will be looked at now. And that's taking Scripture. What does Scripture say? What is it saying about God? Now I want to respond to where it's taking me. I want to answer what the text is leading me to here, to give that to my heart. I just love the, the... the way he describes that. Instead of us choosing, he says, if you want to grow the fastest, let, G- let God, let Jesus decide the direction of your prayer, listening to that, taking that in, letting it sink in you. And when do you do it? Day and night. How do you do it day and night, friends? You carry your Bible around, you know? Maybe that's one way, but one of the better ways is to memorize it. This is one, a passage I memorized years ago, but because of a challenge with campus outreach, we used to memorize everything and kind of compete with it and all that, right? But it's amazing how that back then, I didn't even realize how much fruit it would bear today. I have so much in me that sometimes when something comes up, it just pops out, right? I don't even remember that I knew the verse, and it just does. And that's because it's living and active, Scripture says, right? And so, again, it's taking it in, and sometimes that means memorizing it, having it, sitting with it, and letting that penny drop. And lastly, until it becomes our passion. You know that um, the Westminster Confessions, question one, it says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Do you know that? To enjoy him. Such a strange thing that if you read the rest of the Confessions, it's so doctrinally thick. It starts with that we're called to glorify. That makes sense, right? Give him glory. Just present his weight, his kavod is what the Old Testament says. But to enjoy him? Is that, how you, is that how we approach God often? And this passage says, yes, it's to delight. We don't use this word delight is so bizarre, right? You don't, like, I won't go to Marco's and eat a pizza and go, you know, that, I delighted in your pizza today. It's such a strange word, isn't it? It's one that we don't use very often. So for us to slow down with it and go, man, what does it mean to delight in him? But that's what meditation does. It, it takes something that's on the surface, just a truth, and as it sinks in, it, be, it lights us up. And friends, this is that part of the sermon where if you don't taste this, you might not know what I'm talking about. It's hard to explain, and when you begin to explain it, it almost ruins the moment, you know? It's kind of like, you know, a relationship. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, by bringing out the nuts and bolts, you almost miss it sometimes. But to delight in it, there's something that happens that because it's alive, because it's true, if you'll stop and settle it, let it come down into your heart, delight begins to happen, and it, and it bears fruit, right? Yes, so I, I love Psalm 103 as the example. It says, um, it says, uh, it says, uh, I, don't, I don't have it. Oh, yeah, no, I have it right here. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his whole mind. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who's he talking to? Listen again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Forget not his benefits. You hear what he's saying? Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to himself. 
Psalm 103 is a meditation towards himself. Listen to the re- some of the, uh, just a few more. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? I wonder what this man or woman was, I think it's David actually. I wonder what David was going through where he, his soul needed to hear that that day. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not. Don't forget. That's meditation, friends. That's meditation. And that's the promise. The blessed life comes about that way. And so now I want to, for the rest of our sermon, make a transition to the rest of the text, which is a meditation on the first part. So the first part says this is what the happy life is. This is what it looks like. And now the contrast becomes this metaphor. The metaphors of a tree versus, what, chaff? Chaff? You know, I don't know how to say the word. It's not chafe, it's chaff, right? You know, it's another word we don't use very much, right? Chaff. Um, and, and so, let's again, let's dive into that and look at, read verse 3. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. You see that? There's your metaphor. He's meditating on the life of the righteous versus the life of the wicked. What will it look like? What will, what will lead to this delight inside of each one of them, right? Or inside of the tree, anyway. And so the tree planted by streams is where it starts. Tree versus chaff. And, and, and if you don't know, a chaff is a hollow husk. So imagine that for us, for our day, a sunflower seed, right? When you eat the seed within, the thing that's left over would be the chaff. It'd be the whole. This thing that's useless that we dispose of. The seed is the weightier thing. It's the thing that has life in it. That's what we would want to keep, right? The, the importance of the tree initially, though, is what? It's the proximity. It's where it's planted. It's planted by streams, right? And that's, that, is the, that is what gives this tree the substance it has is where it's planted. Every, everything that we talk about from now on, the importance of where it's planted <laughs> brings about the rest of it. Um, but the opposite is a life that is rootless, right? There's, there's, there's no roots down. Chaff is, back then they would have seed or, you know, grain seeds, and they would, they would take it and, and put it through a process where the seed would fall out and the chaff would stay there, and then they would, they would thresh it, right? And then the wind would blow, and the husk would blow away, and the weightier things would stay. And that's what he's saying here, is that the, the wicked life, when the wind hits it, it blows away. It's useless, right? And he wants us to have that image of there. And so what, what is this life of the chaff? It's a life without substance. It's a life that doesn't have roots. It's a life that's not grounded. Grounded, excuse me. It's, a, it's the facade. It's the person who lives on the surface only, right? It's, it's the one where circumstances, trials, and struggles take it out. And I want, I want to be, I love, remember I said I go back to this, world, uh, this word ungodly. Because at the beginning, remember, it says that it says that walks in the counsel of the wicked. Another word for wicked is, is ungodly. Walks in the counsel of the ungodly. The ungodly person is the one. It's not a person who doesn't believe in God. That's not what the Hebrew shows us. It's a person who might believe in God, but their life, their roots are not sunk into him. Their life source doesn't come from God, right? So you can believe in him all you want, but does it impact how you live? The way you, does the way you spend your money, the way you think about how you treat your spouse, does it come from a life rooted in God? Those types of things, right? 
Um, there's a, an example uh, Tim gives that I will never forget because I remember this movie growing up. You remember the movie Indecent Proposal? Hopefully you haven't seen it. <laughs> um, but, it, it, I mean, it was a really popular movie for a big reason, right? And the proposal was this. The man comes to his, this, this I, I think it's um, Woody Harrelson, right, is in it. And, and Woody Harrelson's happily married, and a man comes to him and says, Hey, I'll give you a million dollars if you let me get with your wife. That's the proposal. That's the indecent proposal. And the movie is this wrestling match over the million dollars, right? And I love how Tim says it. Tim says, is there anything in your life that is, you know, not, that's non-negotiable, that I'm committed to, that I sink in and nothing, doesn't matter what you offer me, it's there, it's consistent, right? But that movie challenges that, and I think that's why it's so important. You know, there's, there's a, a show I watched today called To Catch a Smuggler. Anyone seen that? Yeah, it's, it's a lot about, and Delaney, you see, I got one out there. It's this show about people coming in and out of the States and in other countries, and, and they hide things on their body, drugs, and try to get them through the, the airplane. It's, a, it's like one of those real reality TV shows, right? And, and it's, it's amazing. They get caught, and you should see their faces. Like, oh. and, they, and they always say, hey, do you have any family home? Yeah, I have a wife and three kids. You know, and, they, and he's got a hundred capsules in his stomach that he's trying to, to come through. And, and it dawns on him, what have I done? What have I given up here, right? That's the life of chaff, friends. When there's, there's, it's rootless. There's nothing that anchors me. Anything that comes along is a threat to me or I'm willing to do to get some other thing. It's not living from a place of substance, right? From a place of conviction and care. And that's, that's again, the way of the wicked versus the way of this, this, pers- this righteous, this, this one known as, as the scripture continues to talk about. Is there anything? Are there convictions? Is there an ankle anchor for you? Are there non-negotiables, right? What causes the life of the ungodly? It's, it's the one whose roots aren't sunk into him. And I'm saying that again because that temptation's here for all of us. It's not like it does it's not just this evil person that we're looking at here. I'm wanting to remind us this is a challenge for us. This is the beginning of the Psalter. Someone reading the book of Psalms needs to stop and consider these things is what this challenge is for us. Right? And so as the contrast continues, and we're gonna look more at the tree, because I've said already a lot about the, the, the chaff, but it yields its fruit in season, the passage says. Right? Do you hear that? There's fruit. You will be fruitful if you're planted by the stream. Now, it will come in seasons. Like, th- there are times where we won't be bearing fruit. There are times when it feels like, oh, I can't, you can't cut another branch back, God. It feels like I'm just a barren tree, right? It feels like the middle of winter. There, you know, the, the leaves are green, but there's no fruit, and I don't see any coming, right? All of that, according to this, is a promise that fruit will be born. Fruit will happen. If you're planted by this stream, no matter how you feel right now, all of it will be used. You will bear fruit in its season, in the season. So there will be barrenness, there will be pruning, but there, there will be fruitfulness. Anyone ever spend time around people who are fruitful? I love it. When I'm around someone that's fruitful, it's like a, it's like a good meal. It's like I, I sit down and I, and I ask questions and I lean in and the, the, the relationship that's happening is a sense of I'm being fed by this person. 
There's something good here. There's something great that I want to cling to. There's what they have I want, right? That's the picture that is being described here. That's what we want, friends. That's where we're hopefully going is to be people who are fruitful like that, who have something when others sit with us. We're able to feed them what we're getting, right? I love that. That's what happens when meditating becomes delighting. We become fruitful people in season, but there will be fruit. What's the fruit look like in your life? Next one says, his leaf will not wither. Her leaf will not wither. Right? What does that mean? That there will always be green. It will always be here. When, when other things, when things happen around the world, when another murder, another struggle, more traffic, more high-rises in my neighborhood, right? Like I start feeling, like that's more cars. You know, I start thinking that way, right? Like all these frustrations of normal life. He's saying, plant in me and you can deal with all those things. Your leaf won't wither. You'll have something to give in all the circumstances of life. Something to receive because you're receiving something. You'll have stability. You won't be blown to and fro by your circumstances. But the chaff, remember, it's blown away. And all he does, he prospers. Now, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) Word. Like, everything I do, I'm going to prosper. It's one of those promises. Like It's almost like the song, He has never let me down. Do you feel that a little bit? Like, really? No, I've felt let down before. I've felt like the Lord has let me down before. In the reality of a moment, it often can feel that way. This says, though, that in everything we prosper. What does it mean? It means when our, when our roots are sunk in Him, no matter what we go through, the promise is all of it will be used for our good. And immediately, remember when He says, in Judgment Day, they bring up, the, the psalmist brings up the end. The last day, right? In that day, the wicked will not stand. But the, the, the righteous are known. In that day, you'll be known. So there is, prosper, there is, again, all things working out for that. But in that day, you will have prosperity, prosperity then. Um, so that's what it means. Everything we do will prosper. It says the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked will perish. And, you know, this is deeper than our no friends. It's deeper than when I say, hey, I know him. Like, this is, this is a knowing that's very intimate, right? And that's why verse 6 takes us there. But, but what is the righteous? What is the righteous? Other psalms say it like this. They have all turned aside together. This is Psalm 14. Have become corrupt. There is no one good, not even one. You know, psalm, uh, Paul pr- quotes that in Romans 3. Uh, psalm 130 says this. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Psalm 130. There is forgiveness that you may be feared. And then lastly, Psalm 32, which I'll preach in a few weeks. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Who is this person? Who is this person that can not have iniquity, right? Who can be counted with no iniquity? Well, if you go, what we'll see in a few weeks, it's the person who's covered. How do we get that covering? We know that the New Testament tells us that the Psalms are actually pointing to Jesus. They're meditations that are being worked out, and they're about Jesus, and Jesus on the cross. Do you remember what he says? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you know that Psalm 22.1? He is quoting the Psalms on the cross. And there, what's happening? He's thirsting. There, what's happening? He's shriveled up. There, more and more, what's being taken from him as he's there? The Father. 
His roots are coming out of the Father. And what's happening? He's becoming chaff. Jesus is drying up. Jesus is becoming weightless. He's, he's taking on the sin that we deserve. He becomes what we are without him to be blown away into hell, to go three days down. Friends, that's, that right there is what has to, to become weighty to us, to take a reflection like this and to see Jesus becoming that. So why? So that we are now the righteous. We are the forgiven one he's talking about. We are, are called good now because of what Jesus has done and what he's given us. So how can we do this? This, this summer is such a great time because meditation is about space. It's about sitting with. It's about considering. It's about allowing the penny to drop. Right? And summer hopefully can be a time where you, where you allow your heart more space where you're able to pull away a little more. And, and hopefully, if you've been in the hustle and bustle and the busyness of end of school year for you parents or the end of, of deadlines as in work and those types of things, hopefully you can allow your heart some space. And, and you know, a great tool for this is, is a simply the, the reading plan, what we use, Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. It's to take the text. What does it say about God? What does it teach about Him? That's adoration. How do I slow down and enjoy God in this text? Right? And, and you sit with it, and you stay with it. And then there's a sense of connectedness that happens. Again, I, don't, I can't describe it to you very well, but something happens because His Word is true. It comes alive inside of us as we stay with it. And then, what is it teaching of me about myself? What, where am I led to confess? What, what would my life look like if I believed this? That's a great sentence to use, great question to use for meditation. Right? What do I need based on this text? Who needs to hear this? Those types of things. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And lastly, I want to, I want to tell you that the beauty of delight, is, see, this is kind of coming from C.S. Lewis, but he says delight is the most natural way that mission happens. If you want your neighbors to know Jesus, delight in Jesus. You delight in him. When he becomes something that's wonderful for you, when he becomes delightful to you, you know what happens? You can't help but talk about it. It just naturally flows out of you. It's like we went and saw the um, Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and my son saw it, and he's like, Dad, you got to see it. It's really good. He delighted in the movie, and what did he naturally do? He told me about it. And so what did we do last week? Mom went out of town. We took the, we, All of us went to see it, right? And, and again, that's how it naturally happens. When we delight in something, we can't help but talk about it. It becomes the thing that's important. It becomes forefront. Um, it's, it's not this mechanical thing anymore to, hey, I need to give these, this neighbor the four spiritual laws. This is what it means. You're a sinner. You died. You know, like, it, it's not so much that. It's, that. That might have its place, but when it starts with this, you're getting this. That this is something that's satisfying you. This is something that's beautiful inside of you. It's kind of hard to disagree with that person. It's hard not to listen to that person who's, who has a passion that has come from something organic and beautiful like this, right? And again, so I, I call this text, this sermon, Confidence. And it's from the New Testament reading that where does our confidence come from? It comes from God. And friends, I hope as, we, as I close today, that you'll see your confidence, even to share your faith, even to, to love each other, it comes from those roots being deep down in the Father and sitting with it and staying with it 
over and over and over, and it becoming the life source for you. It becoming the, the, the very living breath out of you that, that leads to a confidence with your faith. A confidence in the midst of all the different things that might come out of you, but a confidence that's grounded in something that God has, has done specially in you, right? And even in a moment, we'll do that at the table because the table is where we practice meditation. It's where we sit with Jesus. We take him in, right? And I'll tell you that in a moment, but let's pray. Jesus, thank you for meeting us. Thank you that you love us. And I pray, I pray that you would be our delight today. And even as we go to your table, Lord, that we would meditate, that we would consider and remember you dying for us, you living for us, and you setting us free so that what would a life look like who believed that? Lord, would you bear fruit in this congregation? Would you give us big fruit for our neighbors, for our kids, for our spouses, for our friends, for our jobs? Would you, would you bear fruit for your glory, Lord, and, and for our delight? Or would you do that, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Now we come to a time of confession, which is basically a response to the word that we've heard.